Welcome to the Just Ask Mom podcast, where parents share their experiences of mothering children with mental illness. Just Ask Mom is a Mothers on the Frontline production. Today we will speak with Nate, an adoptive single father of eight-year-old Ricky. Nate is a military and railroad veteran and lives in Iowa. Um, well, tell us a bit about yourself. Before or after you had your son, just tell us a little bit about you. Um, well, I've Back in 2014, I chose to, well, I guess I should go back even further. Mm -hmm. When I was 30, and uh, I told myself that if I wasn't married with 2.5 kids by the time I was 40, it was time to do something. (laughs) So I did something. And when I was 40 in 2014, I uh, got licensed to adopt um, the the end of October. And that's when the road started. Right. A road that I had never been down and very few people in my family ever have either. Including my cousin in Arkansas who was a special ed teacher. Right. <laughs> so um, prior to that, uh, I've, I've been a locomotive engineer for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, worked all over the country. Uh, before that, I was military. I'm a military veteran. So, I had, uh, I was a medic in the military, I had that experience, but um, none of that prepared me for what was to come when I entered the adoption world and the various um, spectrums of what you you would encounter. Right. Um, Yeah. Okay. So, pretend talking to just... The public, or just telling people who haven't had these experiences that you've had, what do you want them to know? Well, foster kids, um, they have, they're, they're in a whole different class. And you often hear, you know, these kids are damaged, or these kids have baggage, or uh, these kids are bad kids even. Um, the stigma that follows them, and none of it's their fault. Uh, the, the public in general seems to uh, block out the fact that these kids come from very, very bad situations, um, and because of that, uh, they have their minds have been reprogrammed in all essence to survive. And that's where a lot of these behaviors come from. And that's what us as parents struggle to reprogram. Right. Um, if, you can, if you can visualize uh, a Randy McNally map of Missouri when a child is born, you have all of those highways going everywhere. Well, that's a child's brain when they're born. Once you place trauma physical abuse, sexual abuse, and every other avenue on top of that, you might as well take all of those highways on that Missouri map and throw them away. And if you you could just draw four lines that do not intersect each other, that end in nowhere, and those four lines are survival. Food, shelter, safety, and getting your way. Um, 
what they think is best for them. Right. Those four little highways, that is it in the entire state that end nowhere, that don't talk to each other. And it's up to us as the public, not just adoptive parents or foster parents, it's up to us as the public to build all those little highways back together again. That's right. To, to, to attempt to rebuild that entire map. Now, it's a little bit easier when you get them when they're pretty young. Not much, but a little. Um, but it, it falls back. It just takes a lot, a lot, a lot of resources to do so. Right. Tell us about your situation. How did you come about um, meeting your son and, and having your son? And what were the beginning? What was it like in the beginning? It was actually very interesting. Um, the end of 2014 and, and through most of 2015, um, I had sent my home study out on various kids all over the country literally, um, that I was interested in, but <clears throat> I never really, never got considered for them. Um, even ones that they'd tell me that they have no other home studies being considered. But just as I was kind of losing hope, yeah. um, thinking I wasted my time getting licensed, I got a phone call. It was almost to the day, anniversary, of when my brother died in, in 99. I think it was November 27th of 2015. Um, my brother had taken his life in 99, the end of 99. I'm so sorry. Uh, I want to say the 26th. And his name was Rick. Well, I got a call about the six-year-old that was named Ricky. Oh, wow. So, of course, that first, my initial intent was to adopt older, like 11, 12, the, the, what I tend to call the forgotten bunch, right. the older ones, to give them a chance, number one. Number two, my work schedule was not the greatest, and I kind of needed child that was a little more self-sufficient right right um but they called me about ricky of course the coincidence that i could not ignore right he was a lot younger than what i had planned on but then the first things that start popping in my head is well he sure is young enough to still be able to create that bond right and whatever whatever he has wrong should be able to turn that around or get it stabilized. So I went ahead uh, and started visits December of 2015. And in um, the visits I had with him, he seemed like a right. little hyper, yeah. a lot of energy, but to me, nothing out of the ordinary. Right. Um, even when the visits progressed to him coming to my house to stay overnight, uh, he, he wasn't too bad. Um, manageable. He was manageable. Well, the end of January, 
they moved him in. Uh, something had happened in the foster home and they needed to move him quickly, so they went ahead and expedited the transition into my home. And um, so I moved him in, I think it was January, I think it was January 27th or 28th. And uh, it was really neat because, you know, you could tell he was just happy as a lark to move in, you know. He was just he had never been in such a fancy house. He never had all these toys before. He was just the happiest kiddo west of the city. Then day two came. That quick. That quick. His, it, it, <laughs> and as soon as I went down to wake him up on the morning of day two, I'm here to tell you, I just barely touched him on the shoulder and he just he just kind of cracked one eye open. He he just slid down the bunk bed ladder down to the floor, and he just took off running. I mean, he's running into walls and everything else. He's still half asleep, and he just zoom right on up the stairs. Wow. <laughs> it was the it was the craziest thing you ever seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he just he was full bore the rest of the day, and I'm like, wow. I mean, I've been around ADHD kids before, but nothing to this degree but that was all that that, at that time that's all I was dealing with I was dealing with hyper sure and of course he would at the time he was on stimulants he would take a stimulant in his morning and he would kind of level out but then the rise to fame would start about one or two in the afternoon every day Um, so he started school almost immediately and uh, he did he did good at school for the first month, and then I started getting calls that they were having problems. Um, he would run out of the classroom and go running through the halls, or um, he would start throwing animals around the classroom, or tearing up books, or tearing up other kids' papers, um, not following directions. This, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. We didn't, there, there wasn't any confinement at that time. Um, but it, his outburst, and at that time he was not in special ed either. Mm-hmm. So, we dealt with it, and over the, and right about then I started getting him into um, the local psychiatrist to figure things out. Uh, what's going on with his meds or um, what are we missing or um, what do we need to do next so they changed his meds uh, to something different and um, well that was a mistake Mm -hmm. Uh, they didn't wean him off they just switched from one stimulant to another and and at that time, I was completely ignorant to that. Right, so you're just trusting really what they tell you because yes. they're the experts, right? Yes. I've been there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, um, he after that, for the next couple months, I mean, it was just problem after problem after problem in school, 
they were making adjustments wherever they could. And <clears throat> I have to hand it to that that school. They tried, tried, and tried again. Mm -hmm. they, they genuinely adored him and understood what he has to be going through. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there was no secrets between me and the school. On day one, they got everything that I had. Right, right. Child studies, background, everything. So they knew absolutely everything. And they couldn't come back on me on top of it. You know what I mean? Right. From, you were in it together, really. Yes, yes, we yeah. were working together. And and I was raised that way with school districts because my mom is a retired teacher. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I have a I have a compassion for the teaching industry. Right. And I understand how it works. Um so anyway. Had a lot of problems over the next couple months, and he didn't really have many confinements. There was a couple, two or three instances where they had to use confinement, uh, but uh, me or the nanny was home, and one of us would go get him right, right. away. He yeah. wouldn't stay there. Um, but it was that it was only two or three times I want to say total that first year. Now. Yeah. In May, I had got him up here at the U of I, and uh, and they're they're a great facility. Um, they do try very hard to work with the different families. Uh, they changed up his meds again. It went kind of went back to the original mm -hmm. med schedule, and then just did some tweaks and added one. I think one med and things seem to level off the rest of May um, well enough to the point that I thought that they had gotten things figured out right. or got him on the right track he was on on the a good enough track that when his worker his social worker came to the house for a monthly checkup. She asked if I would be interested in his older brother. And I, and she told me what he had. And he had all the same things that right. my guy had. <clears throat> How much older is he? One year. Wow, they're, so they're close. Yes. Yeah. Um, except for the older one had also had RAD. Okay. Well, but radical attachment disorder. Yeah, reactive. Reactive. I'm sorry, reactive yes. attachment yes. disorder. Okay. Um, and I had done some reading about reactive attachment disorder, and my my cousin, who's the special ed teacher, she did a paper in college on RAD, so she was familiar with it too. And mm -hmm. I, I figured with him doing well and with what I knew and and the resources that I had, I figured it'd be okay. Yeah. So I did. I took placement of his older brother, uh, middle of July. Yeah, July, and. For the first few days, great. I mean, they were inseparable. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, they were inseparable the whole time they were in the same home together. But here's where it went wild. About a week into it, the older brother became distant with me right away. 
not, not right away, but all of a sudden. Sure. Um, he didn't want, he didn't want to hug at night anymore, or um, he, he was just oddly, uh, he, he was just oddly distant. And, um, and I couldn't figure out what had happened in that week's time to that had turned his switch off. Right. Um, and I and I figured I, I didn't really figure it was his rat. You know, I just figured there's something I, I might have done or didn't do or parents do that, know, don't we? We oh, always blame ourselves. Second guessing. Yeah, second, second guessing. guessing. Yeah. Um, so it just it started to get worse from there, where he wouldn't take a shower or he wouldn't do something I asked or what have you. And over the course of the next two weeks is when things really got bad because what he was doing was filling, bringing up their shared trauma. Oh, I see. He was bringing that up to Ricky and getting Ricky stirred up, right. causing Ricky to act out. Right. And he would keep feeding Ricky with these traumas and these ideas of acting out and behaviors. Um, to the point that I had, at the very end, three weeks is all the placement lasted. I had went, I had went to work and my job keeps me away roughly 24 hours right nanny's there the whole right. time and i i get down to the other end of my territory and turn my phone on and it's just blowing up the nanny's just blowing up my phone well, they're doing this well the older one was caught with a knife behind the, the shed and the dog and this that and, and the younger one is taking a hammer to the front steps and, I, and i'm like what is going on? Right. Um, taking paint, throwing it all over the garage. Um, it, it was just, it was wild. So I get home, and uh, they they had done about 3,000 in damage to the house. Wow. Um, Which actually takes a lot of effort for a child of those ages to do, right? I mean... Well, I guess not. They can do damage quickly, but it sounds like it's, they were working the, hard at these it. These type children, no. I see. Because there is no self-control. There is no um, There is no line in the sand with them. Everything's game. And they must have been putting themselves in danger, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the nanny, she was doing everything she could to keep them safe. safe but they were not listening to her whatsoever. Right. They were threatening to run away. They were uh, screaming out obscenities at the nanny. Um, There's just no way. Right. It was just an out of control situation. I don't know what I could have done if I was there except call the sheriff. Right. Um, it was it was just a very bad scenario. Next morning, I, I had them go to bed after they ate uh, when I got home that, that night. And the next morning, as soon as they woke up, I took them to the emergency room. Um, I had spoke to a counselor overnight um, through my employer, 
they had suggested that that needed to happen. Right. So I did. I, I went to the emergency room the next day and uh, spent about 10 hours in the emergency room. Finally, the, uh, the local office came and picked up the older brother and took him away, removed him. And my little guy, that was the first time he got admitted up, up here uh, to the university. And um, so moving forward, he was, at the, he was in the hospital for about a, about a week, uh, a little over a week. Came home. They had tweaked a few meds. Um, they didn't really get to see any behaviors while he was in there, which didn't help them any. Right. And, uh, but they tweaked a, a med or so, and they sent him home because he was being safe. Right. And uh, he had started school, second grade, maybe a week later. And uh, I think it was... I think it was not even, not even a full week into the second grade, and uh, <laughs> the calls started again. Physical aggression and screaming obscenities at the staff and out on the playground and dysregulation. Just you name it. And I think it was the beginning of September. He was suspended. Really? Second grade. So at this point, no IEP, no. No. Okay. No, no IEP, nothing. But he was suspended for. Uh, individualized education plan. I always yes. recognize we need to clarify yes. for our yes. listeners who don't belong to this world off. of alphabet <laughs> soup, right? Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yes, the acronyms will throw them off. Yes. Um, but anyway, which way? Um, he was suspended for, he'd, he was standing in line, turned around, a new student, first day, uh, first day at school for this new student moving from somewhere else, was standing right behind Ricky, and Ricky just impulsively just turned around, grabbed his glasses, and just broke them through him. Oh, wow. No reason, no, no rhyme or reason to anything. Right. And uh, so they suspended me, um, and I agreed with it. It is what it is. He was appalled. Um. So that's where it started going downhill. And I want to say it was middle of September that I had called uh, an IEP meeting for uh, to sign paperwork for suspicion of disability. Right, right. Uh, so he could be evaluated for special education. Now I'm here to tell you that next 60 days... Well, it's been six years. Really? It, it just seemed to take forever. Yeah. And his, the, the stuff that he did at school, I felt so sorry for all the other kids that were being put through that. Yeah. It was traumatizing to them other kids, just like it was traumatizing to Ricky. Absolutely. So, but this is, this is the way they do things. And it's unfortunate. But anyway, they started the, the evaluation in the middle of September, and we roll into October. He ended up 
going back to the hospital, I think it was third week of October, um, they, they started to see little behaviors. Um, and they kept adding diagnosis. Um, and it was just, it, it was just baffling. I mean, this whole time, I'm, I'm constantly on the computer researching. I'm constantly reading studies. I'm trying to figure out this, this web that we have going on with him. Um, trying to make sense of it because from a logical perspective, it does not make sense right. in any way, shape, or form. And just the fact that a six-year-old, well, seven-year-old at this time, could be so complicated right. is just scientifically baffling to me. But he went back to, like I said, he went back to the hospital in October. Um, during October, I also got him into a geneticist and had him tested for uh, Fragile X syndrome, which he, he tested negative for. I also had a CMI done with chromosomal microarray to look for any uh, anomalies in his structure, right. chromosomal structure. And it, that did come back abnormal, but um, naturally the, the partial deletion that he has, medical research has not caught up to that sure. part, of the, part of the strand yet. So they did not know the significance of any that it would be, even though this particular chromosome that he has deletion in has a lot to do with behaviors. Oh, okay. So that there's some link at least. Yes. I okay. mean, this, there's suspicion right. because this particular chromosome, uh, it can depict Williams syndrome. It can depict schizophrenia. It can okay. depict um, autism. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of behavioral controls or programming in this particular chromosome. So, but anyway, um, moving forward, he come back home from the October hospitalization. He was okay. Um, that I could tell that it depended on the day. Some days he was all right, but he would only go a day or two of being all right. And then you would pay the price. Right. Um, but he had, he went, it was like November 9th, they went ahead and ended his evaluation early, a little early, because they had enough For the data. school? Yes, they okay. had enough data um, to go ahead and qualify him for special education. In the middle of November, they moved him from the school he was in to the other elementary school in town, which was where their special ed department was. I see. Um, Do you feel it helped at all? <laughs> no. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, in the very beginning, yes. But my little guy is so complicated they couldn't hold a candle mm. to his needs. They distracted him, is what I like to call it, for the first week. Right. Um, 
and then he he started to show some behaviors where he was showing more and more and more um, behaviors and needing more and more time in the special ed room, right. out of the classroom, more disruptions um, until the middle of December, where he just went downhill, um, and we never got him back. Um, and when when he he got to the new school from the middle of November. He started getting a lot of confinements right. in the special ed room, almost daily, yeah. for long periods. Um, and so this went on uh, until Christmas, and he got out of control on Christmas and went back to the hospital on Christmas. Um, and he was there for another uh, until about January 4th which he was released again and there again they had another diagnosis and another med and um, but I think it was that hospital visit I, I could tell when I picked him up he wasn't right he just you could tell he w it wasn't going to last very long how is he doing now? Oh, well, he's been in residential for five months, mm -hmm. and they're just starting to see progress. Right. Um, in the beginning, uh, he was getting his money worth right. out of them. Right. Uh, they were seeing all kinds of behavior. They saw behaviors the day he was admitted. Okay. Um, and he, he had quite a few confinements and so forth, but, of course, that, that facility is designed for those type of children that need that kind of care. Um, but we did we did a med wash on him. Got all of them five different meds out of the system, which I had requested last year, to start right. last year, but the doctors wouldn't listen to me. Mm -hmm. um, but and then they had him off all meds for a month and he did better. They got him off all the meds. He did level out somewhat. He wasn't getting uh, what they call incident reports uh, on a daily basis. Um, he was still riding that line of getting them, but he was not taking it all the way. Right. Um, and here recently, they started him on a new med, just one, um, trying the non-stimulant route, and it's showing promising signs. Oh, good. Um, next month, we're gonna have we're gonna have a neuropsychological testing done to look for um, uh, autism, like Asperger's, mm -hmm. or see if there's something else there. Right. Uh, and it's supposed to identify which pathways are dead end uh, up to his prefrontal cortex. To see if we can get any explanations in that area yeah. or if it's just all pure um, psychological as far as this trauma and, right. and it was discovered that it appears that the, the, the piece of the puzzle that I was missing all last year that things were not making sense when I got him he did not have rad but he had he, once he got to me and felt safe 
comfortable, um, which didn't take very long. Right. Um, and the behavior started. That's not that's, uncommon. That's when the rad surfaced. Right. Because before that, he was not, he didn't feel safe. He felt on edge. He was in survival mode. Right. In his natural instinct. Right. But what, like I said, once you come to me, these, these symptoms started coming out. And, <coughs> you know, the, the RAD symptoms, a lot of these uh, disorders that we deal with in special needs kids, whether it be autism, ADHD, ODD, DMDD, uh, just the acronyms are endless. They are. But the, the symptoms, they overlap each other in such a, a messy basket weave. Yeah. And to get that sorted out, it takes time. It does. And another thing, I mean, your son's still young. Mm -hmm. And as I talk to lots of parents and through my own journey, the brain's developing and it, the diagnoses change or get added as they grow mm -hmm. sometimes. It's very complicated. You're oh, absolutely right. Absolutely, it's complicated. And what, what aggravates me to this day is that we don't, we as parents, we rely so much on the professionals. And in a way, I feel like we're being taken advantage of because the professionals seem to just want to push, push meds. And not the right meds either. They want to push diagnoses that aren't the right diagnoses. And you provide them with all of this information, background on it. They don't look at it. Mm. So we're, we're going into it blind, asking for their help, and they're just handling another piece of cattle coming through the office. Yeah. Is I, I hate to use that yeah. analogy, but it is what it is. And, and it's heartbreaking to know that your child's being treated like that. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but, I mean, you have this insight to that child that no one else has. Well, absolutely. We're all, all of us are the PhDs of our child. Exactly, yes. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and so it, it does, it's important to have a, a team that listen to the parents listen to the other members of the team mm -hmm. so they can get a whole picture of that child. But mm -hmm. it's hard to make that happen. It is. It's very hard. Um, and that's that's why I've I've created a term that, and it may, I call it creative. It may be out there, but I haven't seen yeah. it. But I call it respectfully aggressive huh. parenting. I like this. Say more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's if you hear something you don't like from someone in your network, mm -hmm. tell them, okay, you go to the next one. Right. right. You either go to the one to the left of them or you go to the one on top of them. It's, well, in the end, you're fighting for that kid. Yeah. That's what you have to do. That's that's absolutely right. I mean, it's, they, and a lot of these people that we deal with in trying to secure services for our children, they're just doing their job. That's the way that they're told to respond. Right. Right. So, and there's no reason to get mad at them. There's no reason to yell at them. There's no reason to throw a fit. Right. Go around them. That's right. So, 
You know, there's just so much, right? Um, so I'm <laughs> going to stop you there, but I do hope we can come back to you as you progress in your journey. And this is just, there's just so much. There right? is. So much. But at this moment, right now, are you swimming, drowning, treading water? Where are you at? Before he went to residential, I was drowning. I mean, I it was all of the, the community-based services in my area down there were exhausted. We weren't getting anywhere with him. Mm-hmm. And I had this seven-year-old that, for all intent and purposes, it was like gremlins in my house. I mean, swinging from the ceiling fan, you know, just tearing up the house. And there's nothing I could do to it, do right. about it. You know, the right. police would have to come to my house to get him to do what I needed him to do. Right. Um, so at that time, I was drowning. Even the local hospital didn't know what to do with him. Right. But at this time, I'm treading water. Um, because it's given me more time to do research and, and gather myself and understand uh, what what we really got going on with him um, and work with and working with his therapist there at the facility uh, and her explaining some things. Um, I mean, I, I'm feeling more comfortable now. That doesn't make me a pro at handling the situation yet. It's hard. I mean, there's just no way around it. This is hard. Yes, yes. Just because I'm not programmed like that. I was raised completely different, you know. Yeah. It's hard to take a 8-year-old and treat him like a 2-year-old because that's where they're mentally at. Right. And it's just very hard to shift gears down, down there. So I'm still learning, yeah. uh, like I should be. Um, but yeah, I would say I'm, I'm going to say I'm treading water right now, and I, but I feel comfortable at it. Good. So, what do you do for self care to to get through this? Like, what helps you to to get through it? I don't. I think a lot, and I read a lot. I don't let myself, if I, if I start feeling a little uh, down or depressed or overwhelmed, I, I simply just revert back to the, the task at hand, the challenge at hand, which is understanding how all of these disorders tie into each other, what they mean, what the outlook is. So I'm constantly on the internet researching, reading studies, both here and uh, the UK. The UK is doing a lot of research on ADHD. Um, But I just, I I, I keep passing scenarios through, and I just keep reading, keep education, keep educating myself so I can fully grasp what we have here. Um, You know, and and it goes with, it goes. It, it, it kind of put it pushed me to go back to school it pushed me to start a book um, if nothing else just to have it documented right. fresh in my mind um, 
but that's what that's what I do to keep myself um, maintained. So this is all very hard stuff. So we always like to end with this question because the only way to get through this is laughing occasionally, having some humor about it. What's your most laughable moment that you might like to share with us? The most laughable moment in regarding to him? Anything you want to share. But yeah, in terms of parenting and so forth, what, what can you laugh at through all this? The first time that Ricky was, he's had several very laughable moments, but the first time he was in, he was in the ER um, during that 10 hours, him and his brother, they were pretty unruly. And uh, they ended up having to separate the two and put them in two different rooms. And Ricky was being very, aggressive to the point I was standing out in the hall there was three nurses in in there and he was working all three nurses over pretty good so they had to call security so I'm standing in the hall and here comes this this very large man security guard around the corner and he got he had his, his chest bumped out a little bit you know he just kind of glared over at me and and he, he walked over to the door to the exam room where Ricky was at. He slowly turned that doorknob, slowly opened it, sidestepped in, told the nurses that they could go, that he's got it. Nurses filed out. He slowly closed the door very quietly. And sat there. I sat there for about a minute. And I kid you not, it sounded like Tom and Jerry going at it in that exam room for a full hour. I mean, it did not stop. They were just, oh, I don't know what was going on there, but they was chasing each other hard. Right. And then it got quiet. After that hour, it just completely got quiet. That's always frightening when things get quiet. Yes. And within a couple minutes of it getting quiet, that door slowly opened again. He pulled it open. He sidestepped back out of it, closed the door. Turned around, looked at me. His entire shirt was soaking wet with sweat. He comes up to me and he, he's out of breath. And he says, I don't know how you do it. I said, well, I've been doing it for almost a year. What's your problem? <laughs> and, and he just shook his head and just walked around the corner. And I went in to check on, check on Ricky. Opened the door. And there's Ricky just sitting on the ex- end of the exam table watching TV. <laughs> Not like nothing beat, happened? Not a bead of sweat on him. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my god. Not gosh. breathing hard, no bead of sweat, nothing. nothing. Just like it didn't even phase him. Wow. And so he worked He worked that man over pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, well, I want to thank you for sharing your story. And like I said, hopefully we can come back, talk to you again, you know, when, as you get further along in your journey. And um, But thank you so much for sharing this. And um yeah, we have to laugh sometimes, right? No, absolutely. <laughs> Got to find the humor. Gotta That's find right. It. Well, thank you so much. No problem. You have been listening to Just Ask Mom, recorded and copyrighted in 2017 by Mothers on the Front Line. Today's podcast host was Tammy Nyden. 
The music is Old English, written, performed, and recorded by Flame Emoji. For more podcasts in this and other series relating to children's mental health, go to mothersonthefrontline.com. Thank you.